Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxty Future. Today, I wanted to talk about the big announcement from last week. If you follow me on Twitter, if you follow other GPT-3 people on Twitter, if you, you know, follow OpenAI or GitHub or any of these people, um, you probably heard about the breaking news last week that GitHub announced a new product in partnership with OpenAI called GitHub Copilot. Um, It's basically a, a code assistant, like it helps you write code. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about this breaking news, this exciting announcement. I'll be talking about what it is, like what is GitHub Copilot, what it looks like, like what's it like using it. I'll be sharing how I got access, um, how I'm finding it so far, where it's good, where it's constrained. Um, And I'll also be talking briefly about that societal discussion. Does this kind of code editor, does that mean it's the end of programming? Is programming done? You know that job that a huge part of the economy does and it's one of the last few jobs in the economy that pays well and gives you benefits <laughs> right is that also going away um, that's all going to be discussed today so let's get started so before the announcement right i was expecting some kind of announcement <laughs> from OpenAI. Um, and it's simply because I, I think they, you know, they do operate on a schedule like a company, you know, whatever it could be semi-annually, quarterly, whatever, bi-weekly. Um, and I suspected they would do something around June, July, they would announce something, but I just was not expecting a announcement for something code related. I was expecting something more GPT-3 related, maybe new endpoints, maybe new enhancements they've done, maybe even, uh, you know, something crazy like GPT-4 with more parameters, who knows, right? So that's what I was, I knew they were going to announce something, but I wasn't sure what it was. And to give you some more background, like if I was OpenAI and I dropped GPT-3 last week, um, I would ask myself, like, what are the areas that are the most promising to release specific versions of GPT-3 or specific capabilities uh, that could make us money or really benefit society? Like, could we focus and harness the tremendous energy of GPT-3 and transformer models um, in really specific ways? And so you've already seen OpenAI do that, right? Like with search, uh, that's an endpoint that they launched uh, last couple months ago. Same with the question and answers API. These are things that they can immediately see uh, being beneficial to to customers, to businesses, to society, where they can make money, and where there's tremendous potential for GPT-3, right? That it, it could be harnessed in this way and leveraged to help in those areas. Um, and so they took care of search, they took care of question answering, which might be helpful in customer support kinds of things, scenarios, right? And, this, and I guess the, the section and the bucket that I wasn't expecting was code. But it makes sense if you look at it from their perspective, right? GPT-3, one of the one of the craziest use cases was that it could write code. And if they can make AI that continues to write better code, the opportunities for society are tremendous, right? Imagine just like a natural language, like, you, like, you know, you load it up and then you just say, uh, make me an app <laughs> that has a login page, sign up page. You know, I want to make a website uh, just for dog owners, a social network for dogs, you know, (laughs) 
everybody remembers that really bad typical startup idea from like 2011, 2008. But now you could speak it into existence, right? Like, I mean, that'd be crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying that jokingly, but imagine scientists getting access to something which can write code for them. Imagine code being completely automatic, how fast we can accelerate progress in all of these different areas of, of society, whether it's, you know, life extension, whether it's, you know, building better software to understand our economic system, how we can, uh, you know, uh, improve the quality of life, like code powers everything, right? It could, you know, supercharge automation, you know, you, you wouldn't have to write a single line of code and robots would be doing stuff for you. And maybe AI itself could harness its own code writing abilities to write code to improve itself, right? But I'm saying even without the without that far future, it is really exciting. And it's an interesting area for OpenAI to definitely look at is could they train a model that just writes code, right? And, and, and like, it's sort of another way based on their, the, the open study or the open release of GPT-3 to the public, that was one of those promising areas where it has real potential that, that they could, they could monetize or capitalize on as a business. And so going back, so what is uh, GitHub Copilot? So GitHub Copilot is a VS code extension. Uh, if you are a web developer, uh, you'll you'll know about Visual Studio Code. It's a Microsoft product that lets you, it's like an IDE. It's where you can write your code. Um, and it's sort of the most popular, uh, you know, code IDE today, I would say that. I don't know. Maybe there's other people who disagree with me, give or take. Everybody has their own preferences. But And so they've built an extension for that. Um, and this is in partnership with OpenAI. And so OpenAI provided the AI and the intelligence and GitHub made the extension for it. And just to further help you understand this relationship, right? So this is GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft and OpenAI, which is funded and in partnership with Microsoft, right? So there is some relation between all three of these companies. Oh yeah, and by the way, Visual Studio Code is, is a Microsoft product, right? And so there is a relationship between these three companies. <laughs> Right. And it would make sense for them to partner. Um, and so it helps you write code. And I mean, it's funny, right? Like, so the simplest description I tell people sometimes about what it is, I will actually say it's like GPT-3, but for code. <laughs> and I don't know if that is a good description or a bad description. It might actually confuse people more if they don't already know what GPT-3 is. Right. <laughs> and so like, anyways, like that's, that's just what I've been saying. Right. That is, it's like GPT-3 for code. And the idea is you write a little bit of code and it suggests it uh, like, and then you can press tab and it will show up. Uh, it will automatically write it for you. So as you're writing code, it will suggest code to fill in the gaps of what you might write next. It's making predictions around the code. Um, and uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like GPT-3, but also it's kind of like if, if you've used Gmail, and if you've noticed nowadays, you'll write something in the compose, you'll, you're writing a new email, and as you're writing, it will just suggest text that you might say next, and often it's right. Uh, and then you end up writing half of it with AI. That's what this is like, right? Um, and so imagine as you're writing, it makes suggestions, you can click on an, a suggestion, and it will open up a separate window where you can choose between different options, right? Uh, so, so that's sort of, uh, this is a podcast. So I'm visually describing it for you. So as you're writing it, it makes suggestions and then you can push a button and on the right, something else will show up. It'll give you different options and you can then choose those options and it will paste it in your code. And essentially it's already written for you. It's there. Um, 
in installing it was pretty straightforward i didn't have any hiccups getting access I, I you know i put out a substack post last week saying look even i don't have access i was pleasantly surprised it took about two or three days but i got access i don't know again what criteria they use to give me access however you know, I, I do run a YouTube channel on GPT-3, right? I have an existing audience. I have a podcast on this stuff. If I can't get access, I don't know who else could, <laughs> right? So I don't know if they saw my YouTube or whatever or something, but I got access. And what I am seeing based on activity on Twitter, I'm just seeing a lot of people get access, no problem, right? A lot of people, uh, even without an audience, which is exciting to, to see. Um, and for this product... I, I don't think the surface area is as dangerous as something like GPT-3 for a complete open-ended thing that anyone in society could access and use, right? Um, I, I, I have found that so far in my usage of GitHub Copilot, I found that it's, it's like, it's it, it, it's writing code. Like, it's not going it, like it, to, like, the potential for it to say something offensive or racist or whatever, right? Like, it's just not there as much as something like GPT-3 for all these different reasons. And uh, I don't think there's as much safety risk. Maybe I'm calling it too early. I could be incredibly wrong. But I, I think maybe they will open up invites even more because they're just not, they, they probably won't just run into any ethical or safety issues uh, with, with at least this version of GitHub Copilot. At least, I, I don't know. You know, things can change. You know, it's only been a week. But that's just how I feel so far. And just to give you further context, right? So there's GitHub Copilot powered by OpenAI AI, but the important thing is it's powered by a new engine called OpenAI Codex, which is what what they're calling like a it's like a what's the word um, descendant. It's a descendant of GPT three, and so it's a whole new engine, and they're apparently going to launch it sometime this summer. And so that's also exciting too, as an OpenAI beta member to have access to that. I, you know, I'm trying to speculate what kinds of applications people could build on top of uh, OpenAI Codex. Like I, I imagine a new class of developer tools, a new class of documentation, um, a new kind of uh, uh, maybe ways to uh, um, just generate snippets really easily and paste them in. Um, you know, having some of it already written for you to make it easier as an API to integrate into your application in a really specific way. Um, and so so part of the announcement was OpenAI Codex and where that could go, we're going to discuss later. But it's it's still a really exciting announcement. I got access. Honestly, I don't know why I got access or how I got access. I was grateful to have access and I'm seeing lots of people getting access. <laughs> If you applied and you still haven't got access, let me know in the comments below and in, in the YouTube section or whatever, wherever, like what your experience is like. And also, if you have access to GitHub Copilot, I'd love to just connect with others and hear how they're finding it. So if, if you want to share in the YouTube comments below, if you want to hit me up on Twitter and just share your experience so far, I'd love to hear and just connect with people on that. Um, so how am I finding it so far? So, so far I am finding, so I wrote, I use it a, for a little bit for some Python and I mainly used it for Vue.js, which is a JavaScript framework because I was working on some web stuff at the time. Um, I found that it's handy. I think it saved me a lot of keystrokes and looking stuff up on Stack Overflow or Googling. Um, I, but I wouldn't say it's like writing 50% of my code. 
I would say it's maybe less than 10, like somewhere around three to 5% of time saving efficiency overall, which is a, which is a huge achievement. Don't get me wrong. Um, I found you still need to be a coder to use it. Like I found that a lot, like sometimes it suggests things, they look like the right answer, but they're not. Other times, yes, in theory, what it written should have worked, but you know as a developer that it won't, right? Um, and so it still takes judgment. It's not quite like, you know, I write stuff and it just makes it. It's, it's like, it's not there yet. Um, and I, yeah, it is nice to have it write a lot of the stuff for you. It's surprising. I'm a fast typer. Like people who know me know that, that I, I type pretty fast compared to most people. But it is crazy how much time as developers we simply spend typing. And also just how much um, how much of a you know personal motivation it takes to like write those next set of 20 lines sometimes. It'll be like, oh, I gotta I gotta write 20 more lines. And 20 lines is not the biggest deal, but you know, sometimes coding really can be a drag, right? Especially especially the kinds of code that is not hard, but like you still have to do it, you know, <laughs> like if it was hard and an interesting problem, then you might do it already. You, you'd be more motivated. But anyway, so it's really nice to have it write a lot of the lines for you, right? It's just, it saves you time. It's convenient. It takes less of your self-will, self-discipline, self-control just to have it do it for you. And it is nice that it's doing it for you. And then you can sit back and actually think about the program overall. Like, is this, does this need to be refactored? Is this going to scale well? Uh, is this accessible, right? As a front-end developer, accessibility is, is something actively, you know, we think about. Um, and so it's nice to save keystrokes so you can think about other things. And every time you use it, like, it's it's just it's just like, I at this point already, I can't imagine going back. Like, I simply cannot imagine um, not having this tool because it would be like, it would be like telling myself that I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to, purposely write and type more i'm going to purposely look up stuff on google like it just doesn't make sense right like why would you why would you give yourself extra work to do um and so that i mean that's my review so far my opinion might change but that's what i'm finding uh current constraints so it's kind of like gpt3 in the sense that it's limited by the number of characters it only looks at a single file at a time it can't look at your whole code base that would be a game changer um, it's text-based only, right? And that's another thing that I'm like, like it can't access my browser, right? It doesn't know what the website looks like. If I'm making, the, if I'm coding the design of a website, I don't think it actually knows what the website looks like. It might know in theory as a transformer model, it might've picked up on those patterns, but it's not looking at my Chrome window while I'm testing it side by side, right? Um, it's, it doesn't have access to my command line. That's probably good from an AI control, safety problem, control problem perspective that it doesn't, can't access the command line and have root access to my computer. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, like there's, it, it's, it, it's only limited to just the VS code file that I'm looking at. And so it's missing a lot of the context that a programmer would have, right? Like as a programmer, you might not just be writing code, but you might be doing commands in the terminal as well. Like if you're doing a lot of data stuff, you constantly have the terminal open and you might have spent even less time in the code editor itself. As a front end developer, I'm basically half the time looking at a web browser and half the time looking at a code editor, right? And it's almost like VS Code and GitHub Copilot only has half the picture today because it's only text based. 
Um, there's some, you know, privacy and other concerns. I, you know, I, unfortunately, I still have not had a chance to read all that information, even the frequently asked questions, if I'm being honest, but I don't know what they're doing with the data. Uh, for example, like if I, if it writes something and I delete it, does it send it back? And is that being used as further training data? Is it reading the data in my code base now and using that as future training data? Because there are privacy as well as corporate concerns, right? Like copyright and patents, uh, you know, the, the, the risk of you might have, you know, have access to keys that you, you you know, you shouldn't be referencing in the code, but say you put the code, the keys in the code and it transmits that over the web to GitHub Copilot. And then somehow something gets leaked. I I honestly, I don't know. I I don't want to put out disinformation, uh, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll pull up maybe I'll pull up the GitHub Copilot frequently asked questions right now, just so that I don't risk uh, putting something out there that's just not true. But I I just like like now that I'm using it, I'm realizing that is kind of a concern. So hold on, let me see. Okay, and I'm back. So uh, it says in their frequently asked questions. So the question is how how is the data that GitHub Copilot collects used? The answer, in order to generate suggestions, GitHub Copilot transmits part of the file you are editing to the service. This context is used to synthesize suggestions for you. GitHub Copilot also records whether the suggestions are accepted or rejected. This telemetry is used to improve future versions of the AI system so that GitHub Copilot can make better suggestions for all users in the future. In the future, we will give users the option to control how their telemetry is used. More information about that can be found here. And then the question is, is data, is the transmitted data secure? All data is transmitted and stored securely. Access to the telemetry is strictly limited to individuals on a need to know basis. Inspection of the gathered source code will be predominantly automatic. And when humans read it, it is specifically with the aim of improving the model or detecting abuse. And apparently it says, will my private be code? The question is, will my private code be shared with other users? It says, no. We use telemetry, telemetry data, including information about which suggestions user accept, users accept or reject to improve the model. We do not reference your private code when generating code for other users. So look, that's what it says. Uh, I wasn't planning on going in detail about it, but uh, I mean, I'll let you form a conclusion. Like, in a way, it kind of reminds me of Tesla, right? Like Tesla, the big advantage they have over others, uh, you know, not just other car companies, not just over the car, but over their self-driving capabilities is Tesla's training data has the reinforcement of the drivers themselves and, you know, their braking habits and patterns. And they've been accumulating this debt, this data for like a decade now. Right. So, I mean, like they're probably 10 years ahead of everybody else, just in terms of data around when drivers stop and when they proceed, when they correct autopilot, when they don't. And I almost kind of feel like based on reading this, this fact that, that's what GitHub Copilot is doing. Like it's 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 similar idea is uh, we are providing the reinforcement that may uh, you know be training it eventually to be fully automated to write code potentially, right? And uh, uh, look, maybe I won't go into the ethics of that quite yet. I, I was going to have that discussion later about what it means for programmers, but I definitely just do want to put it out there. Like, how do you feel on a you know? on a privacy automation basis. I mean, look, we, the model by contributing to the model, you are making it better. Right. And if you're benefiting from the model, it probably makes sense for you to also contribute to it. 
this will help other programmers. But on the other hand, I can definitely see companies really having a problem with this. Um, there's a lot of companies who work in, you know, very secure, sensitive areas. There's a lot of companies that really care about their intellectual property. Um, and probably they wouldn't be comfortable with transmitting their code base like this just over the wire through the internet. Yes, the data is already stored on GitHub, but I can see a lot of companies not being okay with this, right? Um, and yeah, sure, they say they're handling it securely. They say they're limiting it, the number of people who have access to it on a need-to-know basis, but this is not any kind of standard. There's this, like, let's be real here. There's no regulation around this, right? Um, and so it's Scout's Honor, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't know what that means nowadays, right? Um Especially if you have the, uh, you know, huge market and business opportunity to automate all programming ever, <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know how much your word means at that point, right? So anyways, uh, it, it's text-based only. Um, I, I did put out uh, a Twitter poll about it. I, like, I just wanted to ask in general, uh, if, if code is automated, which do you think will go first? specifically between front-end web development or back-end web development. And the surprising thing is I saw a 50-50 distribution by the end of that poll. Um, so half the people said front-end is going to be the first to go. Half the people said back-end is going to be the first to go. Now, as a front-end developer, I'm biased. But here's the thing. I also do back-end development. Maybe, maybe it might not be at a professional level, but I have done it, you know, uh, at, a, at a significant level. Uh, for my own startups, projects, collaborating with other people. Um, in my opinion, I would say automation probably backend is going to go first. <laughs> and the reason that I say that, and look, like this is going to trigger some people, but in my view, backend development is basically you're talking to databases, you're managing user authentication, you're just uh, a middleman between a database and the front end, to be honest, right? Um, and don't get me wrong, like, I mean, that's like a simplified web app, a more advanced one might be doing video processing, it might be, you know, have tons of data stuff going on, it might be managing the AI model. But I'm saying at the heart of backend web development is just writing endpoints and getting data and managing users and auth. And a lot of that is is straight up done uh, in the code editor. And so in my view, I would say backend would go first. But, but on the other hand, front end development as a co as a, as a, as a programming, uh, medium, it has a, uh, it's, it's not a steep learning curve. Like it, it's pretty, uh, it's a lot easier to learn front end development, right? Any, I would say anyone within like a week could learn basic HTML and some CSS to make meaningful things at pretty much any age. Like I started making websites when I was 10, right? But at the same time, front-end development is is challenging. As a front-end developer, it's not just code, but you have to have some visual sense of what is being made. Like you have to be able to see it, compare it to the designs, cross-reference, and do, write the necessary code to make it look exactly like the designs you were given. It does take some visual acumen. One thing I've noticed about back-end developers is if you show them what they made and what the designs show, they can't even tell the difference between why it's wrong, right? Part of it is they don't 
they don't have almost like an artist's trained eye. They don't know a lot of the design terminology. They don't know about, you know, shadows. They don't know about typography. A lot of backend de- de- developers that I've come across don't even don't even know how to use Photoshop and they've never designed before either. And like, look, I'm not trying to bash backend developers, but I'm just saying um, front end, again, you're spending half the time in the in the browser as much as you're spending in the code editor. And so I just, I think it, it takes, it's like a, it's more skills than just writing code. Um, and it takes a lot more precision and tinkering. And right now, this, what I'm seeing today, this is not an AI model which can tinker right um front end is a lot of tinkering to get it to look like what was given you have to really mess around with stuff to make it look like what was given uh and it's a it's a really tight feedback loop between the code editor and the browser and it has to work on multiple browsers you know this this model can't even use it can't even access a browser let alone use multiple ones um and so anyways that's my opinion right but the poll clearly shows 50-50. And by the way, there's a lot of cross-pollination. A lot of back-end developers do know front-end to some extent. And so maybe I'm wrong, right? In any case, I can see it in inevitability this decade at least that you know it might be completely automated, both front-end and back-end development. If these models are trained better, if they can get access to different um, browser and the command line. And at the same time, I, maybe somebody will come along and make uh, a kind of web framework which uh, AI can leverage better than what we have to use, right? Maybe it'll make a one that, that makes it really easy for AI to just write snippets of code and then you have a website as opposed to how we write it now, which is, you know, you might have a one or two code bases and you need to have it, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, you, well, I forgot the word, but you need to have it like constantly refreshing the browser for your changes in real time. Like, like maybe, maybe AI will just be able to conceptualize what the w- website will look like exactly without even opening the browser, right? Um, so, look, anything is possible. But I did just want to share the results of that Twitter poll. Um, another, f- another thing that I'm finding, which is a constraint, is it's hard to prompt it to write everything, right? So, like. For example, like the way you get it to write a whole program is you at the top, you create a multi-line comment and you'll be like, this is a program of a counter that counts from one to 10 and back. And then you finish the comment, then you hit enter and then GitHub Copilot will suggest um, uh, like a function that can do that or it might even write the program. But I just, it's hard to get it to write more than like one line like yes it has you can open up the window and see more options on the side but i i I guess i don't know how to i guess what i'm saying is it's hard to get it to write a whole program like like yes you can create these multi-line comments and it can try but it's still really limited based on how far it can look ahead into the future and generate something usable that you're actually looking for, you still do have to do a lot of the writing. And I'm still looking for ways to prompt it to write more on its own uh, without me having to write a comment and have it write it. Um, Another, there's tons of interesting observations. I encourage you to follow Twitter, but like like somebody was saying, he's noticed GitHub Copilot just has a tendency to to write React code. (laughs) And it makes sense, right? Like it was trained on... Uh, open source data from GitHub, and a lot of that is in React, right? 
Um, and so a lot of the times, just as a reflection of its data set, it assumes you're writing React code, which I think is hilarious. I also saw some other tweets, like somebody was able to get it to repeat back sensitive API keys for, uh, I think, uh, SendGrid, the email transaction provider. Um, somebody else also asked it, you know, what do you think is the worst JavaScript framework? And it definitively, definitively said Angular, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Um, and so I talked a little bit about the Twitter poll. I want to talk about, so does this mean the end of programming? So look, I've already established, like I, I, I could see both kinds of web development maybe out the door as maybe as early as this decade. I know that's a crazy thing to predict and say, I'm probably really wrong. I could be wrong, you know, um, but where this is all scary is I'm just wondering, like if you scaled up, you know, OpenAI Codex, you know, they haven't said how many parameters it is, but if it's like 4 billion parameters now, if it maybe got to like a GPT-3 level scale of 175 billion parameters or even beyond that, like 4 trillion, 5 trillion, 10 trillion, 100 trillion, um, I think it could rapidly uh, do more coding uh, than we could have ever imagined. Like I think it could very steeply uh, jump from, right now I'm saying it's doing maybe you know, two, three, maximum 5% of the work to maybe, maybe 60, maybe 70, maybe 80, right? Um, and that's discounting this idea that we may be able to leverage AI to write code in its own ways that's beneficial for it, right? Right now, coding is a reflection of how humans think still, right? The way we organize code into modules and, uh, you know, these separate files, and you have another file for utilities, the way we need to isolate our problems into smaller problems, simply because we cannot conceptualize an entire problem in our head as big as a, you know, a website with all these different capabilities. Um, AI is not the same way, right? It, it can conceptualize multiple things at, at all at once, right? Um, and uh, perhaps, perhaps maybe GitHub Codex could be leveraged and trained on some kind of crazy internal kind of AI programming, which is far better than how we write code, which is limited by our own human abilities, right? So anyways, I'm really, you know, this is this stuff is really just me riffing here, right? Don't take any of this as, as factual, I'm speculating. But I guess, I guess back to the question of does this mean the end of programming? Part of the problem is... Um, for example, like, I just think there's a lot more training data for code, right? Um, there's a lot more code available out there that AI could learn from, right? As opposed to data for, you know, bagging groceries, right? <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, putting in the foundation of a home, right? Like, I don't know if we have as much training data, if those video files exist, uh, across many climates, across across many cities, across many different kinds of uh, houses with different plans, right? The programming data is available today, and it's such a valuable opportunity that I can just see so many people just going after it, right? Um, and it is kind of sad to think about, right? Like, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, programming is just one of those fields which had promise. It has growth potential. It has a high-paying job with benefits. You're in demand. You, you may be able to actually negotiate with your employer or other employers. And a lot of these jobs have really, you know, they're, they're pretty flexible, right? Like, you know, you want to take two months off. You know, you're feeling a little burned out. Go ahead and take it. You want to work on some side projects for a little bit. 
like scale back at your job. That's cool. We'd love to just keep you. Um, you know, it's, it is kind of sad to think about. And so far the developer reaction has been kind of joking about it in a really existential way, at least on Twitter. And I am also finding a lot of people are being very dismissive about it as programmers tend to be in terms of just snarkiness and skepticism. But I, I think this stuff is very real. I think if you scaled up the parameters, if you improve the training data, if it's also getting this reinforcement data that we talked about in the middle of this episode, uh, it has serious potential to take over a lot of your job. Um, and yes, we, we can say that it, it will, you know, augment your, your job, like it will make you more productive, that's for sure. But to what extent, right? And what does that mean? Like, uh, like imagine you're in a job interview and you're saying, you're asking for this skill. You know, I have five years experience as a programmer. I can do it for you. There's only a few other programmers in the world who can do this. This is the salary that I want. And imagine your employer looking at you and saying, uh, yeah, sure. But, you know, like half of it's going to be written by GitHub Copilot or OpenAI Codex anyways, right? So, like, we're not going to pay you that much, right? Um and like, like we're gonna we're gonna take you, knowing we could have written probably half of it already with with GitHub Codex, right? <laughs> like, it's so like we just don't need to pay you as much. Like, you just have less leverage. You're at the table. Like, we just we don't need somebody that bad. We have half of somebody who does okay, right? So like the the marginal benefit for us to bring you on for more money is just not there, right? Um, and I also think there is something about how society is architected, um. It's, it's so interesting, right? Like we have so much sympathy for the coal miners, right? We have so much sympathy for, for teachers, right? If, if there was some crazy, you know, teacher layoff where half the teachers don't have a job anymore for whatever reason, not only do they have a union, but there would be significant societal outcry. For some reason with programming, we just don't get as much sympathy or empathy from society. Um, Anytime a programmer complains, they're always like, oh, well, you know, you make at least, you know, X hundred thousand dollars a year. What do you have to complain about? Right. Oh, your jobs are always in demand. What do you have to complain about? You're part of the tech elite. What do you have to complain about? Right. And so, like, there's less sympathy. And also, like, our industry can be brutal. Right. Like, one day in Silicon Valley, you know, you're, you're on top of the world. You're in demand. You're getting paid. Every company needs to hire you. Five years later, that technology is dead. And like, if you even have that on your resume, <laughs> like, good luck, right? And, you know, like, society just, they almost tell you, oh, you should have known what you signed up for, that you're in the tech industry, things move really fast. You, you should have known that you'd get automated. It's just what you signed up for. That's why you're paid so well, right? But we don't say that, you know, to the coal miners. We don't say that to the teachers, right? We don't say, look, you know, you, you, you chose to coal mine. There's so many different kinds of... Uh, energy sources available it's bad for the environment no you know it becomes a whole political issue i don't even think governments will really politi politicize it that you know programmers should be employed programmers need jobs i think they'll just shrug uh and for whatever reason they will blame programmers as if pro programmers are complicit in this automation problem when that's not necessarily the case right like in this specific scenario it's a small team at OpenAI and a small team at, at github this is not the, the majority of programmers right so Anyways, like, I just, like, I can foresee a lack of empathy in society. Uh, I can foresee it, you know, doing more of the work. I can see it reducing the leverage programmers have. And it is a little bit scary, right? But, but on the other hand, 
you know, speaking outside of my own interests as somebody who programs for a living, the idea of completely automated software will only accelerate our society at a level we could have never imagined, right? Imagine automated software writing, enhancing uh, architecture, uh, agriculture, you know, space exploration, robotics and automation, healthcare, um, Imagine all these things that computers could write for us and create for us. You know, sure, it was trained on our data in a way, but imagine what that could mean. Maybe we could reduce the cost of living. Maybe there could be so many outsized returns from AI that everyone can just live off universal basic income. Um, on the other side of this unfortunate scenario may actually be utopia in a way, right? Um and so, anyways, uh, like you know, I'm getting really far ahead of myself, but uh, the the GitHub Copilot announcement was was really exciting, um, and I'm also excited for OpenAI Codex. And like I mentioned, I appreciate them giving me access to the tool. I'm still playing around with it. Uh, I may have a video coming up where I'll uh, I may share interesting things, interesting responses it has given me, and I encourage all of you guys to try to try to just get access. Um, I, I don't know how I don't know how what advice I can offer you other than to apply and use like a, a proper email because they'll notify you at that email once you get access. So anyways, uh, that's the episode for today. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at B-A-K-Z-T Future. You can follow my Substack newsletter where I share interesting thoughts, interesting ideas that I have that I don't even talk about on this podcast even sometimes. You can find that at bakztfuture.substack.com. You also know about my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash backstfuture. If you're enjoying the podcast, please, 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 I beg you, leave a review. Leave a review. Leave a good one. I So far, I don't think I have any reviews. I'd appreciate it for somebody to step up. Put that review up. I'd appreciate it. It goes a long way. Uh, and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. We're everywhere. Uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Um, and uh, also make sure you set it to auto-download, add it to you know the next item in your queue, set up notifications on Spotify so you know whenever a new podcast episode drops. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a good day, evening, night. Wherever you are, whatever you're up to, I hope it's a good one. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.